All right, let's get started. Uh, if anybody else shows up, that'll be great. If not, it'll just be just us. But a uh, few announcements. Um, NFL, not the National Football League, but the next fitness league launches Sunday. That's next Sunday, the 13th. Uh, we are going to meet briefly right after church in here. Uh, if you want in and haven't uh, already officially let me know that, now's the time. But um, anyway, looking forward to that. We're going to have a lot of fun. Next Sunday, here in Next, uh, Sister Vernell Murphy is going to be teaching, talking, preaching, whatever it is she does. So uh, that's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, the last thing I need to tell you is I'm taking some time off. I have got uh, some guest speakers to come in here for about the next month. Um, Sister Vernell next week, um, Dave Bunch will be speaking, Brother Brian Tier will be speaking, and uh, Nathan Henson will be coming in uh, on the 4th of October. So that's going to be good stuff. Just want to um, promote that and encourage all of you uh, to be here. Don't don't fellowship at Bedside Baptist those days. Just come on and come in here. Nobody laughed at my joke. Okay, that's fun. Okay, um, by way of introduction, uh, we just finished up this series on the four Gs, and um, I taught, preached, treached, some of this material a couple of Wednesday nights ago to the youth upstairs. Um, I'll go ahead and tell you, it didn't go anything like what I thought it would uh, that night that I presented it. It, um, it went about as well as a all-vegan buffet at the National Cattlemen's Association dinner. Uh, it was a little rough, and it still bothers me. It bothered me so much I actually apologized to Dave Bunch about it. But I knew whenever I taught um, this material that I had heard from God about it. I knew that I had. Um, sometimes we teachers or preachers or whatever it is I am will take something that God's dealing with us about and we'll just naturally assume that God's dealing with everybody else about it. So maybe that's what happened. Uh, but the problem is, not the problem, but the, the issue is that the same ideas that I presented to them a few Wednesday nights ago have been cropping up in my devotions this week. So Apparently, I've still got some development to do, and I just want to share it with you today. Was anybody up there that Wednesday night, Sherry? You maybe. I don't know. You were there. I'm, okay, so I'm sorry. About 10 minutes of this is going to be a repeat of what you got that Wednesday night. Um, and if Steve comes in, I'll have to apologize to him too. Um, but what I want to share with you today, if it applies to where you are right now, great. If it doesn't, if it crashes and burns again uh, and it makes no sense, then You'll know a little bit about where I am right now and maybe why I'm so grouchy sometimes. But um, I want to talk to you about prepared environments. Prepared environments. Uh, I want to take a little bit of time to look at the life of Joseph and also to talk about this elusive thing that we call God's will. Uh, finding it, following it, acknowledging it. And um, I also want to give you some material from a devotion that I've been going through uh, written by Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren, called Hard Questions, Hard Questions Devotional. Uh, if you use the Version Bible app at all, I would encourage you to check out that little devotion. You can find it in there. It's called Hard Questions by Rick Warren. It's good stuff. So let me give you a little bit of a, an odd scripture launching point for this morning. Genesis 1, 24 through 27. 
Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. So what's gone on prior to this scripture reference in Genesis is God created heaven, created the heavens, and then He created the earth. God said, let there be light, and then He separated light from darkness. God created sky. Actually, in the Bible it says He created a firmament, and I never knew what a firmament was until I looked it up in another translation. It's, it's a sky that separates the heavens from the water. You're welcome, if you always wondered what that was. God created dry ground. Then God created vegetation on the dry ground. God created the sun and the moon. And that's cool because He said, let there be light back on day one. And now it's day four, and He's saying, let there be a sun and a moon. So where did the light come from? That's just a cool, cool question to think about. You know, before I get into this, it occurred to me, maybe I should say this, um, at my core, kind of my home base, I'm a bit of an existentialist. I, I always kind of go back to the big questions. Uh, who are we? Why are we here? Who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? So that's just kind of my core, my home base that I operate from. There are some people that I'm really close to and good friends of mine that are at their core. Um, they're, they're pragmatists. Who we are and why we're here doesn't matter. We're here and we got to do something. So let's get about the business of doing it. So whether you're the more of the existentialist or more of the pragmatist, uh, you can still absorb this material today because it's going to be very existential at times and it's going to be very pragmatic at times so I'm, I'm ready for you so God made light he made the sun and the moon God put fish in the water God put birds in the sky God made every sort of animal that goes along the ground then God made man and then God made woman and God looked at all of that and he said this is very good this, this is very good so just a real simple point here God created sky first and birds later. God created dry ground first and then animals later. God created the waters and the seas first and the fish later. So God designed and planned and He made all of creation, sky birds, seas fish, land animals first in order, and then man came last. And I'm taking a little bit of time here because I want you to see how God, Scripture shows us that God sets the stage first. He created the right environment first. Then God filled that right environment with the creation that would live and prosper in that environment. Everybody with me? Just a good old Baptist nod would be appropriate right now. Okay. Y'all remember the, uh, the pattern that we discussed whenever we went through the four G's about how God will create a need and then 
fill a need. So we see that here. There was a void and he filled it with the earth. There was a sky and he filled it with birds. There was oceans he filled with fish. Land he filled with animals. And that's cool, but there's another pattern that's established here in Genesis. And it gives us a little bit of insight into how God works sometimes. And that pattern is that God prepares the right environment, then places the right thing in the right place so that it all works according to His plan. They're with me. Alright, so I'm going to say that again because I really want you to get this. This order of creation shows us here in Genesis that God will prepare the right environment and then He will place the right creation in that right place so that everything just works according to His plan. So God prepares our environments. I don't know if any of you remember, uh, Pastor Murphy preached a sermon. It's been several, several years ago. We've been here four years, so it's taken place in the last four years. It was called a prepared place. Brian, I see you shaking your head. Anybody else remember that? Okay. In, the, in this sermon, and this, this wasn't even the whole crux of his sermon, but in, the, in his sermon he talked about how Samson slew the 10,000, or however many, how many was it? The Philistines? Maybe it was 1,000. I don't want to diminish the miracles of God. But he slew a bunch of Philistines, and what did he use? The jawbone of a donkey. Okay? So in his sermon, Pastor went through talking about how this poor just stricken donkey went and crawled off in the thicket somewhere and it died and then it, nature took its course and it decomposed so that there was this jawbone waiting on Samson this one day whenever he would find himself in need of something to help him. The enemy surrounding him and he needed something and there was this jawbone of this donkey just waiting on him there. Um, it, it wasn't ideal. It wasn't what we would have considered the best weapon. I mean, if I find myself in a place and I'm surrounded by a bunch of Philistines, I'm looking for the Browning 50 caliber. You know, I'm looking for a tank or at least give me a samurai sword. But Samson had the jawbone of a donkey. But it was something that, that jawbone was something that fit in that environment. My Browning 50 caliber would have been out of place in that environment. My samurai sword would have been out of place in that environment. By human logic, Samson could have done better even in those days than the jawbone of a donkey. But God gave Samson what he needed and it fit the environment that he was in. So God creates this environment where His creation can live, where His creation can prosper, where His creation has what it needs when it needs it. He creates an environment where His creation can fulfill its design purpose so that we can live as we are designed to live. So this is cool to me because... That means that God looks down through time and He sets the workings of His universe into motion so that there is a prepared place waiting for you to step into. A place, an environment that is suited to your God-designed purpose. 
Y'all with me so far? Okay. Well, here's the next step. You are living, you are living in that environment, in that prepared environment today. And you were in that prepared environment yesterday. You walked through that prepared environment all this past week. Believe it or not, and whether you recognized it or not, you walked through an environment today, yesterday, this past week, that was prepared, that was organized, that was orchestrated, and that was anointed by Almighty God. Specifically for you and your family. And God did it on purpose. The environment that you're in right now, at home, on the job, at school, where you're walking in life right now, the people that are around you as you go through your life right now, relatives, friends, co-workers, doctors, the needs that you come into contact with right now. All of that is God uniquely positioning you here. Wherever your here is, God has uniquely positioned you here so that He can use you, so that He can develop you. And that's an amazing thing. Well, Jason, if all of that's true, what you just said, then why is my life such a struggle right now? I mean, I, I, you know, Jay, I don't know what kind of pipe dream you're living in, but I know what I walk through every day. And you make this all sound like it's some big Jesus blueprint and everything just clicks and works together all hunky-dory and it's all without a hitch. And my life can be a bit of a hot mess sometimes. So what are you talking about? So let's go ahead and acknowledge the elephant in the room. Sometimes our prepared environments are exhausting and frustrating. Yeah? If we are completely honest, we even get a little mad at God sometimes about our environment. We're not happy about where the path is taking us. We're not happy with the people that we're coming into contact with that are along the path with us or sometimes get in our path. We're depressed about who and what surrounds us on a daily basis and you think either I messed up or God messed up but somebody had to have done something wrong because my environment stinks. Y'all still with me? And that's real. That's real. I mean, y'all... Y'all all sitting there all quiet and stoic-faced like you don't know what I'm talking about. But y'all know sometimes you look at your environment and you say, there ain't no way this is God. Because Jesus did not have a hand in this debacle and in this mess. And I've got to think that that's how Joseph felt sometimes. Um, I've spent a good bit of time over the past few weeks reading the story of Joseph, and I I can't get out of it. And every time I try to move away from it, I get myself steered back to it. And then whenever I read a different devotional, all of a sudden the story of Joseph starts cropping up over and over again. It bothers me a little bit. 
Uh, it, it concerns me because the last time I got into a Bible character like this was about four years ago, and my life got really messy. <laughs> um, I spent a lot of time reading about Abraham and Abraham leaving and Abraham having to... That's whenever my dad passed away and I left my home church that I'd been in for 20 years. And so now I'm reading about this guy Joseph, and I can't get away from Joseph, and Joseph went through a lot of hard stuff, and I don't like it, and I'm just a little bit worried, okay? Y'all know what I'm talking about now? So Joseph, right, we know his story. He's betrayed by his brothers. He's thrown into a pit. He's sold into Egyptian slavery. He gets falsely accused and thrown into prison. He gets forgotten about and left there. Joseph experienced some pretty nasty environments. Joseph came into contact with people that betrayed him, forgot about him, abused him. But more than that, as far as Scripture goes, Joseph did everything right. He wasn't going through all of this stuff because of some kind of sin problem. He wasn't going through all this because he was being disobedient and God was constantly trying to correct his course. God ordered Joseph's steps and it still took him through some pretty nasty environments. Those steps took him into a prepared environment that tested him down to the very core of his being, down to the very core of who he was. His environments were challenging, they were stressful, they were hurtful, they were exhausting, they were uncomfortable. He came into contact with people that were dishonest, that were unreliable, that were malicious. Even <laughs> This occurred to me this morning, even after his final promotion, right? We, we make like that's just, you know, that's the, that's the climax of the story. He gets appointed to be second in command over all of Egypt. Okay, well let's put this in perspective for a minute. He's a Hebrew. The Egyptians hated Hebrews, so now he's a foreigner. He's been promoted all of, over all of these other Egyptians. I'm sure that rankled a little bit. And he went from a prison one day to being over all of Egypt the next day. I'm sure nobody had a problem with that. And the future of the entire nation of people is now on his shoulders. No pressure there either. So that whole happy ending thing about, hey, now you're going to be in second command over all of Egypt. It's not like his life just culminated there. There was a daily struggle of administration, organization, and all that stuff that went along with this new role that he had. I don't think that that environment was easy. Yet Joseph was blessed by God and he was able to thrive in the middle of all of this mess that he walked through. In his life, Joseph was right where God wanted him, even though it was exhausting, frustrating, even though he felt betrayed sometimes, even though he felt forgotten about sometimes. He was right in the middle of where God wanted him. It was the right environment for his designed purpose. And it probably didn't feel that way to him on a day to day basis. It's easy to look back now, I mean, in hindsight, and say, oh, yeah. On a day-to-day -day basis, I don't know that it felt that way to him. I'm sure some days it felt like a struggle. But folks, we don't, need to, we don't need to mistake discomfort for desertion. We don't need to mistake difficulty for a dead end. Just because I get uncomfortable in life doesn't mean that I'm in the wrong place. Just because I'm experiencing difficulty doesn't mean I've messed up. 
It's a prepared place. All of that difficulty, all of that discomfort for Joseph was a positioning. It was an environment of preparation so that God's purpose could be fulfilled through him. And in all of that, and all of that mess and all of that stuff, Joseph was obedient. This might get a little messy right here, um, so bear with me. But when Joseph was young and still living with his father Jacob, y'all remember how Jacob gave him a coat of many colors? Why? Why did he get the coat? He was his favorite. That's right. Jacob favored Joseph above all of his brothers. Why? That's part of it, absolutely. Because Jacob liked Rachel more than he liked Leah and some of those other wives he had. So part of it was just because of who Joseph was. He was the son of the wife that he... (laughs) It just blows my mind to be able to say that. He was the son of the wife that he liked best. So part of it was just because of who Joseph was. But there's another part to that equation. The other part is is that even as a young man, Joseph served his father with diligence and obedience. You think about it. Joseph was where his father Jacob's heart was. He was a shepherd boy back then. And back then, a man was measured, his success was measured by his livestock. So Joseph gained his father's trust by serving diligently and obediently in areas that mattered to his daddy. Okay, look at it this way. Just by nature of who he was, because he was the son of Rachel, Joseph could have been this miracle child and extremely favored. But what if he had had disobedient character? What if, he, what if he'd have been a little jerk? What if he would have had disobedient character? Even though he was the son of Rachel, what if he had been disobedient? What if he had been con- uh, contrary? Then he would not have won the heart of his father. Folks, character is going to shut the doors that talent, ability, looks, family, position, education, all of those doors that get opened by those things will be closed firmly by poor character. And one of the easiest ways to have good character is to be obedient (laughs) to God. Joseph's obedient character allowed God to keep opening doors of opportunity for him even in the middle of prepared environments that were unpleasant. So, I don't know what else. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I don't know what else to say. Obedience was the key. So as I promised, let's get practical for a little while. And uh, this material comes directly from Rick Warren's devotional hard questions and the answers you need. So if you want to check that out. I just want us to look at this material I'm about to give you right now through the lens of prepared environments and the story of Joseph. In day one of the devotional, Rick Warren writes, How do you find God's will? 
First of all, God's will isn't a feeling. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says that the heart is deceitful. God's will isn't a formula either. So it's not a feeling, it's not a formula. What do you mean by that? God's will isn't a closed system or a recipe. If not A, then B, then C, and so on. It's an open system. You can choose A to Z and God can make it right. He can make it work. And I don't have specific scripture for that. This is me talking, not Rick Warren. I'll just use every Bible character ever as a reference. Abraham made mistakes and God still got him there. Jacob made mistakes and God still used him. Moses made mistakes and he was still God's choice. David messed up and God still blessed him. So just because you went from A to Y and then back to B and then you went off to Q for a little while doesn't mean that God's like in some kind of cosmic bind and can't do anything with your life anymore. He doesn't, oh, Steve didn't follow the recipe A, B, C, D, so now I've got to mark him off the list. That's not how it works. It's not a closed system. It's not a recipe. So how do you find God's will? If it's not a feeling, it's not a formula, God's will is a relationship. That's really good. Y'all just didn't realize it yet. God's will is a relationship. 1 Corinthians 1 and 9 says, God will do this for He is faithful to do what He says and He has invited you into a partnership with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's in the New Living Translation. You know, there's not going to be a whole lot that you can find in the Bible about a technique for finding God's will. But there's a whole lot of Bible about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That, that was free. Alright, day three. Next steps. We're going to make this real practical. This is the next step prayer. And if you want this, shoot me a text and I'll email it to you. Here's the next step prayer. Lord, I need your guidance in my life. And I ask in faith that you direct me. Help me to listen for your response. To not get so busy that I can't hear you. Father, when I don't understand it, help me to trust you and understand that you have a path that is for my good. God, what is my next step? Help me to do what I already know I should do and help me to not get frustrated. Help me to be to not be fearful but to trust in you in Jesus' name. I would add to that prayer the words of Pastor Chris Hodges from Grow Conference this uh, past summer. He said this the opening day. He said, Lord, help me to see what you want me to see. Help me to hear what you want me to hear. You brought me here for a reason. You want me to see and hear some things, so help me to get what you have prepared for me. I can't get much more practical than that. Day four, two steps to knowing God's will. If you want to know God's will, you need to do a couple of things. First of all, admit that you need guidance. And we don't really like to admit when we're confused, right? And especially men, we carry this stereotype. We never want to ask for directions, right? I'll just go ahead and dispel that stereotype. I have no problem pulling over the side of the road and saying, hey, I'm lost, can you please tell me how to get there? It just seems more expedient to me to ask directions from somebody that knows. But apparently, men, it's in our nature, it's not in our nature to say, hey, I'm lost, and stop and ask for directions. And it's really not in anybody's nature to say, hey, I made a mistake and now I don't know what to do. That's why when it comes to knowing God's will, it takes some real, incur it takes some real courage to admit that we're confused and we need direction. 
Psalms 25 and 9 says, He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them His way. So if you're arrogant and you think you've got it all figured out, now you won't say that out loud, you'll just live it out in your life choices, then God's going to say, alright, be my guest, big boy, go ahead, go for it. I want to give this to you exactly the way, uh, the way Rick Warren wrote it. So here's a quote from Rick Warren. I've had people tell me, I've been a Christian for 20 years, Rick, and I've never felt God guiding me. My response, maybe it's because you've never admitted that you need it. You go to work assuming that you know what to do without praying about it. You make financial decisions all the time without praying about it. You make vacation plans without praying about them. You make career decisions without praying about it. If you're single, you ask people out on a date without praying about it. You think you know, but you might want to stop and admit that you need guidance because it's the first step in getting God's will for your life. The second thing we need to do in order to know God's will is ask in faith Ask God for directions. James 1 and 5 in the Living Bible says, If you want to know what God wants you to do, ask Him, and He will gladly tell you. For He is always ready to give a bountiful supply of wisdom to all who ask Him. He will not resent it. But when you ask Him, be sure you really expect Him to tell you, for a doubtful mind will be as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Here's another quote from Rick Warren. He said, Notice, in this passage, that there are two keys to knowing God's wisdom. First, you've got to ask the right person, and that would be God. You don't ask your manicurist, your, me your mechanic, your bartender, or some other reliable authority like a radio talk show host. You ask the right person. Then, you ask with the right attitude, expecting God to answer. Have you ever asked God to lead you but didn't really expect Him to? Sure you have. That's why you never got anything from it. You must ask expecting an answer. God honors faith and He promises wisdom for the next step of your life. Okay, practicality continued. This is the last, last bit. Four ways that God speaks to us. A lot of us think we're too busy to listen for God's response, but we have to take the time to tune in and listen because... God is speaking. Job 33, 14 says, God does speak, sometimes one way and sometimes another, even though people may not understand it. The question is, how do I understand it? How do I tune in so that I can hear God's voice? Here are four of the channels that God uses. Number one, God speaks to us through the Bible. It is your guidebook for life. It shows you the right step to take. That's why you need to read God's Word every day. If you're not having a daily quiet time and reading the Bible, God's getting a busy signal when He wants to speak to you. You have to keep a constant connection because God's will is found in God's Word. The second way God speaks to us is through teachers. You're welcome. Have you ever been in church service and felt like what the teacher was saying was a direct message from God to you? There's no way I or any other teacher could figure out exactly what to say to meet every need, but God knows so before every service, I pray, God, you know the people and the needs out there. Give me the right things to say. Somehow, in the only way he can, God uses teaching and the teaching of other pastors to meet the needs of people who are listening. The third way God speaks to us is through impressions. Rick Warren says there's two extremes to this. One extreme is the rationalist who believes no impression can be from God. It all has to be logical. At the other extreme is the mystical belief that every impression is from God. You need to get in the middle and realize that every impression has to match God's Word. That's your test right there. And number four, God speaks to us through our circumstances. I dislike this one the most. 
If we're going to live a life of significance, God's got to make constant course corrections. And one of the things He uses to do that is the circumstances that come into our lives. When you start to listen to God through circumstances, impressions, teachers, or the Bible, sometimes He's going to lead you in ways that you don't understand. But hang in there. Following God is not always easy, but it will reap more blessing in your life than you can imagine. So this is the way I want to finish today. I've got four minutes. This won't take that long, but... I read this cool story a little while ago. My mom gave it to me um, about this lady. Her last name was Tinnikin, uh, and she worked in her youth. She worked on a sheep farm, and she told this story about how one day she went out to the water trough, and you know it had that green algae stuff growing in it, and so she emptied out the water trough so the sheep would have some clean water, and she started refilling the water trough, and. Um, the rams came in and they all wanted to drink and the lambs came in and they all wanted to drink but they wouldn't drink from the trough while she was running water in it she said you could tell they were thirsty they would come up to it but then they would get close to it and they would shy away so then she took the water hose out and she tried to hold it out to them and they would walk up to the water hose it was flowing as water was flowing out and they would get close to it but then they would back away And it took a little while for her to understand that the sheep were not going to drink from the water unless the water was completely still. And then she talked about the biomechanics of how a sheep drinks water. Um, Their noses are right over their mouths, and they don't lap water like a dog does. A sheep will actually form a suction with the water, kind of like what we drink from a straw, and suck the water into their mouths. And if the water isn't still, if the water is flowing, they get water up their nose. And small sheep, lambs, will even drown from trying to drink from flowing water. She said there have been instances where sheep would sit by a stream of flowing water and die of dehydration. They need a still pool of water in order to be able to drink. This was fascinating to me. I'd never heard this before. So it's no accident then in Psalm 23 where it says, The Lord is my shepherd. And the New Living Translation says, I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside still waters. So He prepares the environment that His sheep need in order to get the nourishment that they need. Listen to what the shepherd has to say. This is the last thing I got for you. Jeremiah 29 11, one of my favorite scriptures. The Lord said, For I know the plans that I have for you. They are plans for good, not for disaster. Plans to give you a future and a hope. He's prepared your environment. And the environment that you're in right now It's there for Him to use you. It's there for Him to develop you. Be obedient, Joseph. Be obedient. Let the the character of obedience keep those doors open while you're in this, this environment. God will bless it. He will bless it. It's what His Word shows us. All right, I'm done. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the principles and the concepts that are in that book, God, that direct my life and give me wisdom. 
Lord, sometimes we're confused. We just need help. God, show us the next steps to take. Lord, help us to tune in and listen to You, to get on the same frequency with You so that You can talk to us through Your Word and talk to us through impressions in the Spirit, through teachers, God, and through the circumstances going on in our life. Open our eyes and open our ears. Lord, help us to see what You want us to see in this environment. Help us to hear what You want us to hear. God, and I pray that You'd speak to every one of these people in ways that they will know and recognize as You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Questions, comments, oppositions, anybody? Thank you. God bless. Y'all have a good day. We'll see you in big church in a few minutes.